Bibles with me, turn to Acts. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. While you're turning there, let me ask you a question. How much importance do you put on the Holy Spirit in your life? I would assume that that would have a varying degree of the people that sit in this room. How much importance do you put on the Holy Spirit in your life? I would assume that all of us have some working knowledge of what the Holy Spirit does. How he convicts us and how he comforts us and how he uh, compels us and all of those things that the Holy Spirit does. I would assume we all have a fairly good working knowledge of what he does and what he can do. I think we understand that the book of Acts was a Holy Spirit driven book. I mean, there were things that were done in the book of Acts, cloven tongues of fire and people speaking in tongues and people being healed and all kinds of different things and jail uh, cells opening with nobody opening them and shackles falling off. I mean, the Holy Spirit was at work. I think we all have a general working knowledge of what the Holy Spirit can do. I would assume, I would hope that we all know that without the Spirit's power, we can do nothing spiritually. I mean, we can do, again, we can do physically amazing things. Humans are amazing. The overcoming power that they have. I mean, you look at at, at people that have physical ailments and they overcome those physical ailments all the time and we, we celebrate those stories and we're excited about those stories. But listen, physically it's amazing, but spiritually we can't do that. Spiritually we cannot overcome sin. Spiritually, we cannot make it to heaven on our own. No matter how hard you try, we always fall short of the glory of God. We cannot do it. I heard this recently and I thought it was so true that often our theology does not affect our practice. Think about that. Often our theology does not affect our practice. We believe all of these things, right? We, we, our theology is this, that the Holy Spirit has amazing power and can use that amazing power through his people. Our theology is that the Holy Spirit convicts. Our theology is that the Holy Spirit compels. Our theology is that the Holy Spirit comforts. But often our theology does not ever make it to our practice. So what does the Holy Spirit, how important is he to your life? Most of us know what the Spirit can do, but do we put that knowledge into practice? Here's what I want you to think about this evening. Input of the Spirit radically changes your output. Input of the Spirit radically changes your output. We've often heard the saying that if you put something in, that's what you'll get out. If you put garbage in, you'll get garbage out. If you put good in, you'll get good out. But here's what I want you to know, that if you input the Spirit, you will get a radically different output. It won't just be a spiritual output. It'll be an overwhelming, pressed down and shaken together, an overflowing type of output. 
It'll be something that you don't even understand. Input of the Spirit radically changes your output. I want to look at a man who allowed the Holy Spirit to work in his life. And I want to show you what he accomplished for God. It's spectacular. Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. Acts chapter 8 and verse 26, the Bible says this. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip. He's the topic of discussion tonight. Saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Esaias the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. I'm going to stop there because I read a ton of passage this morning. We'll get through this, but we're going to walk through it. I want to preach to you a message that I've entitled, Unified with the Spirit. Unified with the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. Thank you for the special music. Thank you for the, uh, just the fellowship that we've had thus far. Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful that we get to serve you, so thankful that we get to give our lives to you. Father, you've given everything to us. We love you for it. I pray that your will will be done here in this place tonight. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Unified with the Spirit. When a person is filled with the Spirit, there is no telling. Listen, there is no telling what that person can accomplish for God. When a person is filled with the Spirit, there is no telling what that person can accomplish for God. The problem is that we are too focused on our own selfish desires. That's the problem. We are too focused on what we want to do. We are too focused on what we want and when we want it and how we want it and all of these other things. That's what we're too focused on. Instead of inputting the Spirit, we're inputting our fleshly desires And we're doing, the Bible says that the spirit and the flesh are at enmity with one another. They cannot coexist. There's a problem when we begin putting flesh in and our fleshly desires in. That means we are not putting spiritual desires in. That is exactly what it means. You cannot have one without the other. The problem is we are too focused on that. The problem is we don't pay attention to what the spirit wants to do in our lives how many of you would say and you don't need to necessarily raise your hand but how many of you would say that I know exactly what God wants to do in my life I'm so in tune with God I know what he wants listen I would beg to say that there be very few including myself that would not know or that would know exactly what God wants to do in their lives Listen, I I know that God wants me to be here right now. That's what I know. I have no idea what God wants for me for the future. I'm excited about what God has for the future. But listen, none of us know what God wants to do. But listen, here's the good news. If you will every day put in the Spirit and put in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit, in the future you'll be exactly where God wants you to be. You will be. There's, there's no getting around it because you'll be walking with God every step of the way. Philip was a person who was given to the Spirit. 
He was constantly inputting the Spirit of God. And listen, he wasn't just inputting the Spirit of God. He was denying his flesh, pushing it aside, saying, listen, I don't want that. I want the Spirit. I don't want that. I want this. I don't want that. I want God. I want him to make a difference in my life. He was denying his flesh, and we can obviously, the fruit is visible. God was working in him. But I want you to remember who Philip was. Let's go back to uh, Acts chapter 6, if you would, please. Just a few pages back, Acts chapter 6. You need to establish who he was and why he's in this position. Acts chapter 6. The Bible says in verse 1, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report. Notice that. Full of the Holy Ghost, notice that. And wisdom, notice that. Who we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now pay attention here. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen. We've already talked about Stephen. A man full of faith of the Holy Ghost. And who? Philip. Well, that's interesting. And Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. You see, this was that Philip. This was that Philip. He was just an average church member. He just attended the church there at Jerusalem. He was just going there. He was uh, 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 just an average church-going citizen. And listen, but there was something different about him. He did not hold a title. He did not hold some special position. He was just a pew sitter, if you will, but there was something different about him. If you'll look there again in verse 2, then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them. I pointed this out when we went to Acts chapter 6. You see, I believe there were certain types of people in this church at Jerusalem. There were those people that were sitting on the sidelines. Then there were disciples, people who fully followed God, who wanted to know God, who were, who were constantly and actively looking for God. And then there were the apostles. And so there's this middle ground, and so they call the disciples to them, and they say, look ye out among you, seven men. So the disciples get together, and they say, all right, who's going to be the one? Who's going to be the person, and who's going to be these men who serve tables, who help the widows out? And so Philip was just an average, he didn't have a position, he was just an average church member, but he had something special about him in that he was a disciple. He was actively pursuing God. The Bible describes him as a man full of the Holy Ghost. You see that the, under the conditions in verse 3, wherefore, brethren, look out ye, out ye among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. You see, he was a good man. He was a wise man. He was full of the Holy Ghost. He was something special. He was just an average church member, though. But an average church member that wanted to do something. I don't know, sometimes I feel like we have this mentality of church members are just church members. That's all they are. You mean to tell me that church members can be full 
of the Holy Ghost? Are you kidding me? That's a possibility? You mean to tell me that church members can be disciples of Christ and not just disciples of the pastor? I mean, you mean to tell me that church members can be full of wisdom? I mean, they're just dumb sheep, right? We all are. But listen, full of wisdom. You mean to tell me that church members can do something great for the cause of Christ? Not just the pastor, not just the staff. I mean, these church members can do something great. You see, often we just look at the end result, don't we? We just look at who Philip was. We just looked at, at he's listening to the Spirit of God, and he's running and meeting the Ethiopian eunuch, and most of us know the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and how everything worked out, and he begins preaching Jesus to him, and the Ethiopian eunuch gets saved. Hear me, all we look at is the end and go, man, that would be so much fun. We forget where he came from, who he was. Listen, every person that sits in this room tonight, myself included, every person can have this end. Every person can have this same effect on society. Every person can be full of the Holy Ghost, full of wisdom, doing something great for God. We all can. We can all do something. We can all see a radical change to our output. We don't just have to go to work every week. We don't just have to live next to our neighbors. We don't have to just do these things. We can have a radical change to our output. So I want to look at that output. I want to look at what the output of Philip was, and I want to challenge you with something. Again, I want to give you three simple words, all words you know. The first one is willing. His output was a willingness when he input the Holy Spirit, he was outputting willingness. Look at Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Now I want to just stop there. I want to show you a map. The map is very interesting, and there's, can we get that map come up, guys? There's, oh, it's very difficult to see, I'm sorry. So if you can see Samaria at the top, the top arrow in the middle goes all the way down to Jerusalem. Okay, it is straight line, it is 50 kilometers from Samaria to Jerusalem. Look at the verse again, if you would, chapter 8. In verse 26, and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem. He was in Samaria. When he left Jerusalem, he went to Samaria, preached the gospel. Now he's coming back through Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. So he goes all the way over. So it's 50 kilometers in a straight line, if you just do a straight line, from Samaria to Jerusalem. And then he's to go from Jerusalem all the way over to the coast, which is Gaza, known today as the Gaza Strip. So that is around 78 kilometers straight line from Jerusalem to Gaza. That's if you draw a straight line. Now, if any of you have ever been to Israel, there's no straight lines in Israel. 
It's rocky, it's mountainous, it's this, it's that, it's the other thing, and there are paths to take. So listen, it's far longer than 128 kilometers for this to happen. So this is no small task, and he's walking, he's not flying. He's not driving a car, he's walking, he's doing this for Christ. Look at verse 27. He's told this, and he arose and went. As if, not even to miss a beat. Listen, if God said to you, I want you to walk from here to Toronto, would you do it? What? Why? Why why would I do that? Why in the world would I go there? Why in the world? And the funny thing about this is, it says into, which is desert. Hey, don't even go to a big city. Go out in the desert. Go out somewhere where you're never going to find anybody. God, why are, you, why are you sending me out there? That would be our question, right? What in the world am I doing out here? Walking around, probably thirsty as all get out. Man, this is, this is crazy. Why am I here? And yet he was willing. Just as if he never misses a beat and he arose and went. He arose and went. He sees this Ethiopian eunuch. I want to read for you verse 29. The Bible says, Then the Spirit said unto him, unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him. Hey, there's a guy over there. Why don't you go meet him? Listen, the first thing that I ever did here at this church, Pastor Stone said, I want you to go around and I want you to meet everybody and I want you to take their picture. If that's not awkward, I don't know what is. Hello, I'm meeting you for the first time. Can I take your picture? Sure, people said. It was, it was terrible. I'm just going to be honest. It was horrible. But it was so good for us. Listen, that's hard to do. Hey, go over there and talk to that guy right now. Go. Most of us would be like, oh, okay. But Philip just says, okay. And he runs and gets, comes near to him and joins the chariot. He was willing to do things that were out of his comfort zone. Maybe they were in his comfort zone. I have no idea. All I know is he did them. He was willing. He was willing to take on the seemingly meaningful task of serving widows. Hey, I need seven guys to volunteer full of the Holy Ghost. I want you to do it. Philip, will you do it? You're a good man. You're full of the Holy Ghost. You're full of wisdom. You're a wonderful guy. Would you do it? Absolutely, I'll do it. Seemingly meaningless task. And he says, listen, I will do whatever it takes so that the gospel can go forth. And if you go back to Acts chapter 6, you see that the gospel just spread like crazy. The number of the disciples was multiplied after that story. He just did what he was asked to. He was willing. Just very simply, willing. You see, we look at willingness as something small. Maybe even insignificant. Why do I need to be willing? Why, don't, why, do, why doesn't just God just tell me what to do and I'll just do it and you know, just make sure it's something big because I want to do something big for God. It's, so we appear that willingness is something small, but hear me, willingness is the key that opens up greater opportunities. A key is something so small but so important. When we lived at East Avenue over on this side of town by the armories, 
for whatever reason, multiple times, we left our key in the house and locked the door. It's a big house. One little key gains us entrance into that house. Frustrating when you don't have that little key. We climbed through windows. We jumped over the back fence. We did a lot of things. I'm sure our neighbors were like, what in the world? I remember one time the window wouldn't, would never stay up. And so I tried to crawl through it, and I would push it up and let it slam on whatever part of my body was at the window at the time. It was terrible. Stupid. And I'm just thinking, why don't we just carry our key? Hear me. Willingness is the key to open up greater things. To open up a bigger house. To open up something that God will do for you. Listen, I believe that if Philip wasn't willing to do the menial task, that he would never be willing to go out into the desert and go to Samaria and preach the gospel, he would never be willing to do the bigger things. If you are not willing, God cannot help you grow. We use the term here, teachable. We want you to be teachable. If you're not teachable, we can't help you. If you're not teachable, you think you know it all, there you go. You know everything you're ever going to know. You'll never know anything else because you're not teachable. If you're not teachable and you don't want to learn from God and you want to understand from God, God's not going to give you anything else. Luke chapter 16 and verse 10 says this, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Listen, if you are not going to be faithful in the least, if you're not going to be faithful in the small things, it will never unlock greater opportunities for you. And so, so listen, we can walk around and say, no, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to input flesh, and I'm going to do the things that I enjoy doing, and I'm going to do them when I want to do them, and you will never receive the key to greater things because you won't be willing. You'll be just doing the things that you want to do. But if you input that spirit, you will open up a world of things that you never knew because you will have greater things. You'll have much. God wants to give us new things to do. God wants to give us greater things to do, but he will not allow us them if we're not willing to do the lesser things. So number one, willing. Number two, the output is working. Working. Philip was working in the church, serving widows. He was doing something. He was accomplishing tasks there. Again, we, we look at them and go, oh, well, that's not such a big deal. That's not a big thing. But again, Saul comes and disperses the church. And the Bible tells us that there are just the apostles left. So we believe that there were just 12 people left there in Jerusalem. All, at least 8,000 people leave. Philip is one of them. Philip leaves. You go to Acts chapter 8 and verse 5. And the Bible says, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. And does what? Works. And preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. He hearing, and here's another thing, seeing the miracles which he did. 
He begins healing people in verse 7 there. You can see that, that Philip just works. He's just doing something. He's just active in his role. He was working, doing the will of God for his life. Listen, he didn't care if the will of God for his life was serving tables or performing miracles. All of us like that performing miracles part, right? We wanted to have that power. We want to see God do something amazing in our life, but we're not willing to serve tables. We're not willing to do the menial tasks of life. We need to be working. He was active. He was not sitting on the sidelines. He was a disciple. He wanted to work for God. So let me ask you, what are you doing for God? What are, what are we doing for God? How, how are we working for him? How are we active and busy for him? There is so much to do in this world for the cause of Christ. The more I talk to people, the more I go, man, there is so much to be done. It's overwhelming at times. Where do you start? How do you get to the, the end? I mean, there's just so much to do in the world. There is so much we can have an active role in. Listen, it doesn't even have to be a specific ministry here in this church. Every one of you have some sort of co-workers that are struggling with something. Every one of you has neighbors that are going through a situation in their lives and they just don't know what to do. Every one of you has neighbors and co-workers and people around you that don't know Christ. Listen, so it doesn't have to be, oh, okay, I can only serve God as long as it's through the church. I'm all for the church. Don't misunderstand me. God died for the church and God gave us the church. But listen, there are things you can do outside of the ministries of this church that are serving God. That are working for him. What are you doing? What are you accomplishing for the cause of Christ? There are people around you. What are you doing for them? How are you serving them? How are you gaining uh, insight into their lives? What are you doing? Do something. Even if it's a menial task, start doing something. Input, not the flesh. Because the flesh doesn't want to do anything it doesn't have to do. Start inputting the spirit and saying, God, whatever you want me to do, I don't care how menial it is. Because if I'm not willing to do that... The lesser things, I'll never make it to much. Start living your life the way that God wants you to. Start living your life the way that God wants you to, and before you know it, the Spirit will begin asking you to do something. Some of you say, listen, I don't know what to do for my neighbors. I don't know what to do for my coworkers." I don't know what to do at my school, some of you kids. I don't know how to reach people for Christ. I don't know how to tell them about the hope of Jesus Christ. I don't know how to walk them through certain things of their life. I have no idea. Remember, Philip was just an average church member. He didn't go to Bible college. I, I don't know what to do. You know what he did? He just started working and inputting the Spirit. Just inputting the Spirit. 
I just want to do what God wants me to do. And in putting the spirit and God began to use him. And God began to call him to do some things. And then God began to equip him to do those things. And then God began to ask him to do other things. And God began to equip him to do those things. And it'll be, you'll be amazed before you know it. You'll be doing things that you never dreamed of doing. Your output will radically change. Which I believe... All of those things happen will lead you to the third point, simply wanting. Acts chapter 8 and verse 40, notice with this, this with me, if you will. The Bible says this, but Philip, so after he baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch, the Bible says that the spirit caught him away. But Philip was found at Azotus. And passing through, hear this, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So he goes uh, all the way up the coast, almost all the way to northern Israel, preaching in every city. You know what I believe? He went on his way continuing to do more and more and to do what God asked him to do. And I believe he wanted more. I want to preach more. I want to do more. Do you see the progression that's happened? Is it as obvious to you as it is to me? He starts small. He moves to Samaria, starts preaching. God uses him. He begins doing miracles. People are getting saved and baptized. And then he says, listen, I want you to go out into the desert. I want you to meet one man out there. I want you to baptize him and lead him to Christ. And he does. And then he begins wanting more. I want more. I want more. I want more. And he keeps preaching and keeps preaching and keeps preaching and keeps preaching. I think this is something that people don't understand. When you begin to see God work, when you begin to know God is working, when you begin to know God and you begin to feel God and you begin to experience real joy and you begin to experience real love in your life, you know what you want? You want more. I want more. I want more of that. I want to see God work again. I want to see God perform a miracle again. I want God to do something great again. I want God to change me again. I want that joy of Christ again. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, David said. I just want it again and again and again. I want it more and more and more and more. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to try to muster it up. You don't have to try to give it all you got. Listen, you just want more of what God has. But listen, you'll never have it if you don't input the Spirit. If you're not doing what God has asked you to do and walking in the Spirit, not fulfilling the flesh, the lust of the flesh, do you want more of God? Do you want more of God? Do you want to see God work more? Or, or are you just content with where you're at? Are you just content with sitting there and allowing God to do whatever he's going to do and letting all that pass by? Not being a part of that. Are you okay with that? Do you want God to use you more? Is that your desire? 
Or is your desire just to stick with the status quo? If your desire is for God to do something more and to work in you more and to use you more, then your input has to change. What you're putting in has to change. Again, so that your output can radically change. I'll take you to a passage. last passage I'll take you to, Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Read from here to the end of the chapter. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. Notice what Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Why? That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his what? Spirit. In the inner man. Why? Why? That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, hear this, verse 19, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. Why? That ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that what worketh in us unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. When a life is given to the Spirit, and when the input of the Spirit is constant, you can't imagine what God will do with you. You can't imagine what you will want from God. You can't even think about it. It's, a, it's above all that you ask or think. It's far better than you can ever imagine. But it's got to take an input. So many of us are okay with inputting the things that we're inputting right now. And we say, oh, it's not bad. Listen, it may not be bad. But is it the Spirit? Are you inputting the Spirit? Because if you're just inputting okay stuff, you know what you're going to get out? Okay stuff. Are you okay with okay? Or do you want something radical? Something amazing? Something that you never asked for or thought of in your entire life? What are you okay with? What are you expecting? What is your desire? You see, Bible Baptist Church needs people. We need people to do the ministry. Here at Bible Baptist Church alone, we have people that we need to run the bus route. We need more people right now. As soon as September comes, we need people. 
We need more people. We have people that we need to put on there. We need people to help cut the grass around here. We need people to help set up for Sundays and Wednesdays. We need people that will make hospital visits. We need people that will help visit our shut-ins. We need people that will disciple other people. We need people that will train men and women for the ministry. We need people that will plant churches in Port Stanley. We need people that will plant churches in all of southwestern Ontario. We need people that will be missionaries. You see, we need people. Listen, you may not understand how cutting the grass today will lead you to be a church planner tomorrow and God doing amazing things through you. You may not understand it, but will you begin to be willing? The only way you become willing is by inputting the Spirit because the flesh is not at all willing to do anything outside of its comfort zone. You see... Jesus even said, the spirit indeed is, what, willing, but the flesh is weak. We need people to do things, seemingly meaningless tasks. But listen, God can do something great if you'll just input the spirit. How important is the spirit in your life? You'll see just normal, normal everyday output, or you'll see radical output if you put the Spirit. Are you willing? Are you working? And are you wanting? The fruit of the Spirit will be evident. My challenge for you tonight is very simple. Begin inputting the Spirit. You'll see an output that you never expected. I hope you'll be challenged to do so.